If you turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, we'll finish chapter 8 tonight. And it is also, I think, by God's design that because chapters 8 and 9 are all the same subject matter, the Lord has conveniently divided up three messages uh, that all have the basis of God's grace and giving so that we don't have to do these three weeks in a row. So God's even good that way. Amen? Principles of Grace and Giving, Part 2. One of the things that I think is hardest for us in our Western society is to recognize that in no way, shape, or form do we actually, as believers, own anything. We are so conditioned to be performance-oriented, and when we're performance-oriented, we think that we've earned something, and when we've earned something, it is actually ours. The problem with that thinking for a believer is God never surrenders his ownership of anything. Everything that's in our care or our stewardship actually still belongs to God. And so as the Apostle Paul writes now again to the church at Corinth for the second time in the second letter, he's going to speak to them again on this issue that is tough for us because we live in a world where things matter, where what we possess sometimes even becomes our identity. And in fact, we look at career choices and those types of things. While they're not ever bad uh, in that sense, we're trying to earn a living is the way that we would state it. But ultimately, there's exactly one Jehovah Jireh, God who is our provider or God who provides And the God who provides is the provider for everyone, everywhere. And so he is really simply doling out to us to use that which is actually still his. And so these principles of grace and giving really are a test for us. They're a test of faith and they are a test of our spiritual maturity. And so as we continue, we're going to go back just a little bit for a moment to verses 8 and 9, but would you pray with me, and we'll we'll pick up uh, really in verse 10. So, Father, we are grateful again that your word speaks to an issue uh, that is important in our day and time. We think about finances, we think about resources and career choices and homes and cars and all these things uh, that the world says belong to us. But the truth is, Lord, it all belongs to you. And we as your children recognize that tonight and pray that you'd speak to us through your word. As we study it, would you give us, Lord, your understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 8, I speak not by commandment. So again, remember that Paul is speaking here rather than pointing at the church and going, man, you guys need to really get with it. Rather than looking at the body of Christ and saying, you know, what's wrong with you? How come your faith is so weak? He's not doing that. And I don't believe that the Holy Spirit intends for us to receive this passage as like some, you know, dictate where we've been hit in the head with the principle. But the addressing of this issue is so long that you have to realize it's also very important to God. And so it is best that we do not just skip over these passages and go, well, chapters 8 and 9 are all about giving. I don't speak by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by diligence to others. 
One of the measures of maturity for the body of Christ is what we do with what we know. Amen? One of the ways that we can test our own maturity is by how much we do with what we have learned. You see, an immature believer can hear all kinds of things, take them in, and do nothing with them. And in fact, our faith itself has come by the hearing of the word of God, exactly as Romans 10, 17 reminds us. So we hear many things from the Lord. Paul is basically saying, look, I can tell exactly how sincere you are by what you do in this particular area because this one is hard. This particular area will affect you personally. And in fact, in this case, he's actually pointing at this particular group of people, this church, and he's reminding us of what it was in their lives to be sacrificial in this area that we would call loosely giving. By your, we can test our love, the sincerity of it, by the diligence that we have towards others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice. And here, here's where Paul kind of tones it down and begins to speak to them in a very gentle way, and I speak to you the same way. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago. In other words, you started this wonderful process, and I see this very often where people will make a commitment And they'll keep that commitment for a week or a month or six months or maybe a year. And then all of a sudden, something that is not of faith infiltrates their life. And the first thing to go in their life is their commitment to the Lord. The first thing they stop doing is, well, you know, I got a bigger house, so I'm going to quit giving to the Lord. I I bought a really nice car, so I'm going to stop giving to missionaries. I I all of a sudden find myself in a situation to where the first thing that happens when the test comes is, well, you know God's got everything. He can afford to do without my tithe. That's kind of the mentality. And so Paul speaks to this issue. He says, you started doing this. It's to your advantage not only to be doing what you began, and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you almost you you should also complete. You must also, you should also, it should be high on your priority list to complete the doing of it. In other words, whatever you committed to do, do it. Scripture is very clear that for, for believers, our yes should be yes and our no should be no, and nowhere is that more important than to the Lord Himself. Amen? You see, you might tell me something, and you could probably give me a good reason why your yes needs to be no and your no needs to be yes. And I might go, okay, I get it. But God sees our hearts, and God looks at our lives from a very different perspective. And so when we commit to the Lord to do something, we commit to the Lord to be engaged in the ministry, it is to our advantage, the Apostle Paul says, to complete our obligation to the Lord, to complete what we've said we would do. That there was a readiness 
to desire it, so also there may be completion out of what you have. Now notice again, there's no condition here on the circumstance. And there's no indication that this church was wealthy. There's no indication that this church had massive resources and they were just like, well, here's a, you know, here's a little bit of it. It is essentially, he's saying, look, you said you would take care of this thing before the Lord. Take care of it. Do it. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. And read that very carefully. You see, we make a commitment to the Lord, and it works the same in our marriages, amen? That's why we take marriage vows that often say things like, for richer or poorer, amen? If you're married in here and you've been both rich and poor, raise your hand. If you've had and had not, raise your hand. You, you, you see what's going on here is the Apostle Paul is saying, look, don't make conditional promises to God, but rather if you make a commitment to God, it's not conditioned on whether you have or don't have. The promise is based on your relationship with him, and he is always faithful, always worthy. He's worthy of our worship, and giving is an act of worship. It's not a financial obligation we have before the Lord. It's us saying to God, look, Lord, I really mean this. I'm actually going to give to you as you have given to me. And in grace, we have been freely given eternal life. Amen? So money is kind of a little bit below that, don't you think? It is in my book. That's why Jesus said, what profits it a man if he were to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Do you understand what Jesus is saying? He's making a direct comparison. You could have everything this earth has to offer and lose your soul, and you have lost everything. You didn't gain a thing by gaining this whole world because it's temporal. It lasts for a period of time, and then it's gone. And so he says, it's not according to what you do not have or I do not have. We have a responsibility. We have a stewardship of God's resources. And so without compulsion, Paul's simply saying, let's take a look at this together. And you see, when God gives you something, he's not giving it to you simply so that you can have more. He very likely is giving those things to you so that you can bless others. And that's what's in focus here. That's what the church does. And I've shared with you some things. I'll share some more things with you. Um, I just got an email tonight that the church that was damaged in Ridgecrest by the earthquake finally got the work done on their ceiling that this church sent them the money to do. We don't know them. I've never met a single person in that church that I'm aware of. But they called and they have need. We didn't have to see them. We didn't have to meet them. We don't have to know them personally. What we needed to know is God has instructed us that when we see our brother in need, how can we harden our heart towards them and say that the love of God dwells in us? And so our goal is to be like Christ in that, so we simply sent them the money to finish the work on the church. It got done today. They're back in on Sunday. Amen? That's how it works. But that's not because Jeff and Connie gave a whole bunch of money so that that could happen. That's because the whole body of Christ 
considered it an act of worship to give to the Lord so that we would have in God's storehouse the resources able to do that. The reason that those 10 churches are in Liberia still functioning today that were planted three years ago is because every month you actually pay all 10 of the pastor's salaries. You pay for their buildings that they rent. The the reason that the churches that are flourishing in El Salvador continue to flourish and grow, what started as five that turned into 10 is now 18 is because you are taking care of the pastor's salaries. You are paying for the spaces that they rent. You actually are being used to the Lord to send a gift to them every single month so that they can do the work of the ministry. That's how this works. Now, that's not contingent upon any one person in here doing financially just fantastic before the Lord. That's all of us hearing the word of the Lord and saying, God, what is my part in this? Some of us can give richly out of abundance. Some of us, it is sacrificially out of want. But the fact of the matter is, if we take this subject seriously, there is no limit to the things that God can do through us. And that's what's in view here. Those churches that we support in Uganda, there are eight of them. Every pastor's salary is paid by the gifts, tithes, and offerings of this fellowship. Their buildings are rented by the gifts, tithes, offerings of this fellowship. There are seven churches in Colombia. Same story. There are two churches in China, which we can't tell you where they are. There's a church in Hong Kong. We can't tell you where it is. There are two churches in Taiwan. We cannot tell you where they are. But we can tell you we heard from the Lord. And the stewards that have been placed over the funds of this church, the board of the church, have heard from the Lord and faithfully, whether anything happens or nothing happens in this church, we are going to continue to support those ministries. And the reason that that is important to you is someday you may be on the other side of the equation. You may be the missionary. Someday you may be the Bible college student that needs a scholarship. Someday you might be in that place to where your family's in need. Now, we don't put up a big sign in the lobby and say these are the 8 jillion people we gave money or food to every month. But what we do do is act as the steward or overseer of the things that the Lord's entrusted to us. That can only be possible because of the individual faithfulness of the body of Christ. It is a group effort. And so Paul admonishes the church very quietly and softly, continue doing what you're doing and complete what you've committed to. And he references Exodus chapter 16 as he does this. And and what he's actually saying there, as we get to verse 15 in a moment, is that ultimately the children of Israel, when they were gathering manna in the wilderness, simply picked up what was necessary for them and others every day. They couldn't keep it. They couldn't store it. If they kept it and they stored it, guess what happened to it? God took it away. 
If they tried to hoard the daily bread that came down from heaven, God spoiled it and God took it away. So it's a beautiful picture of how we need to view what God entrusts to us. He sends us every day our daily portion. And he expects us to give it away to those in need. And what happened in the wilderness, if there was a widow who couldn't go out and pick up manna, someone picked it up for her and gave it to her. If there were children, they picked it up for them and gave it to them. If someone was sick, they picked it up and gave it to them. But you couldn't keep it, and you had to trust God that there'd be more manna every day. It's a beautiful picture of our responsibility of stewardship. That is such an act of worship, and it is such a place of faith and trust in the Lord. I literally have to trust God every day. Because here's how we look at it. Well, it's in the bank right now. It's mine. But what happens if I give it away? It's almost as if we don't trust God. Because he put it all in there in the first place, didn't he? If you don't believe that, talk to some of your friends who have run through financial situations that they never saw coming. They, they got to the end of retirement only to find out that retirement wasn't there. You, you see, bad things can happen to good people and good things can happen to bad people. But there's one God who is provider of all. Let's look at some fine points in this. And it really ties into our salvation experience. Since we're saved by grace, think of this. Since we're saved by grace, and everything that we do in worship is an act of giving back to God what he's already given to us, we are also supposed to give in grace. It's a direct reflection of our salvation experience. You see, I could say to God, well, you know, I mean, thanks for the free gift, but don't expect anything out of me. But I don't think that's a real good reflection of how I value the gift that he's given to me, amen? So if I look at God and I say, God, uh, thanks for the salvation, but take a hike. You see, ultimately, what happens is our giving is part of our worship of the one who saved us. Everything you have that's of any value whatsoever in this earth came to you via the grace of God. Everything. That includes your houses and cars and bank accounts and 401ks and IRAs and all those kind of things. Your retirement plan, if you have one. Even Social Security. As poorly managed as it may be, it's still a result of a good God giving gifts to his children. You see, we have to see it that way. In other words, this whole issue begins for us, every one of us, actually not in the bank. It begins in our hearts. It's not an issue of whether you have enough or don't have enough in the bank. It's do you trust God in your heart? And if you trust God, then you trust God. And you worship God. And you say, look, Lord, it was all yours to begin with. You can have it. I'm not keeping it. When you have given yourself to the Lord, giving some of your possessions to the church is pretty insignificant. It's like it really doesn't matter in light of what he's actually done for us in our salvation experience. 
And I realize for some of you this is hard. And I will tell you there was a time in my own life when this was a very difficult thing for me. It's like I had no problem. You were going to send me to the mission field, no problem. If you were going to say, well, I want you to go Bible call, do something for me, serve, do, do children's ministry, whatever, it's no problem. But pulling that checkbook out, it's like, Oh, man, that stings. And I've had conversations with people, and I want to make this as light as I can. And I'll generalize so that no one thinks that I'm talking about them or I heard your story. But I've had people actually come to me and go, do I have to give on net or can it be gross? Do you, you know, can I, can I, can I discount my tax return? Cause I already paid tithes on that. You know, we run through all these things to where we're like, well, you know, pretty soon it's like, well, he doesn't expect me to tithe on the coins I find in the cushions, does he? <laughs> you know, we, that's the wrong attitude. It's like, now we're trying to figure out, look, God gave you a hundred percent. A hundred percent still belongs to him. So it's not about 10 or 20 or 30 percent or whatever it is that the Lord encourages you to give. It's about does he actually still own a hundred percent of it? Because that mindset is exactly the problem with a lot of people. That mindset of, well, this 90 percent is mine if we're going to get strict and call a tie the 10 percent, which is what it means. If if 90% is mine and 10% is God's, how would you like if God said you were 90% saved? You're going to 90% go to heaven, but you can't take from your knees down. You know, just, they got to stay. That's kind of how we act sometimes towards the Lord. It's like we, we get all into percentages about things when God doesn't care. He cares that you're faithful, and he cares that you're cheerful. He cares that you understand that it's an act of worship. So as grace givers, I'm motivated by the grace of God. I'm not motivated by some mathematical formula. And I'm not motivated whether I have or don't have. I just simply say, Lord, you gave me everything. This is just a token of how much I love you. This is a token of me wanting to join you where you're at work in the world. Look, let's be clear. The Macedonians were poverty-stricken, practically. That's who's in view here. But they gave so richly that they were spiritually richer than the people who were rich. And that's the more important side of this equation. I actually sit down occasionally with people who are going through financial problems. And I will talk to them about their faithfulness. I'll just ask a simple question. Are you faithful to the Lord? And they'll usually give me a yes or a no answer, and it almost always is yes, very rarely is no. And then I'll ask them this question, and you should see the look on their face. What would your checkbook prove? What would your checkbook prove? 
What would your bank account say about the answer you just gave? Because here's what happens. We start looking to God to do things for us, but we're unwilling to actually be faithful to him. We expect him to bless us when we are unfaithful with what he's already given us. And so Paul is actually speaking to this issue in our life. It's like, look, if we're saved by grace through faith and we're going to heaven and that is completely unmerited, if God should say to us, complete your commitment and make sure that you're doing what you should do so that if I want to bless somebody in Ridgecrest and put a new ceiling in their church because they don't have it, I want to be able to give it to you and tell you give it to them. That's how it works. If there's going to be a church that needs a pastor but has no resources because the country is poverty-stricken and that pastor could not do that work and God wants to speak to our lives, I want you to support that church. He wants to be able to do that, but he's not going to be able to speak those words to us unless we collectively could say, God, you're welcome to check out my checkbook because it shows faithfulness. It shows that I trust you. You see, the truth is we're exceedingly rich in Christ. That's what verse 9 says, amen? We're, we're rich in that grace. We're, we're rich in charis, if you will. God has richly given us all things. He's freely given us these things. And so the perfection of this grace is summed up actually in the person of Jesus, isn't it? The perfection of our grace is summed up in Jesus, isn't it? Now follow me with this. Track with this, if you would. If that's true, and I believe it is, and many of you said amen to that statement, how much did Jesus give up for your salvation? Everything. He didn't give 10%. He didn't give 12.75%. He didn't give 20%. He gave 100%. He put off the glories of heaven. That's exactly what Paul writes to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 2. He did not consider it robbery to take upon himself the form of a man. In order to do that, guess what he gave up? The glories of heaven. He gave up his regal majesty. He gave up everything that he had that was attached to heaven. He said, I will give everything of myself. So if the perfection of grace is summed up in the person of Jesus Christ and giving is a reflection of the grace of God, guess how much we should be willing to give up for him? A hundred percent. Now, God's not asking you to give up 100%. He's not asking you to sell everything, give it away. I I absolutely am not saying that the scriptures say that, but I am telling you that Jesus was 100% in and we should be 100% in with everything, with our time, our talent, and our treasure. Not one or the other, but all of them. We should willingly be able to give everything we have in our time to the Lord and of our talents to the Lord, and of our treasure to the Lord, so that he can speak into our life, and he may take some of us and say, Jeff, I really want you to give that car away. 
Jeff, I want you to give that thing to someone. Notice what I just said. Not sell it to them at a discounted cost. Jeff, is that still mine? Because if that's still mine, here's what I'm telling you. Would you give? But Lord, the registration's due. Pay it, Jeffrey Scott Gill. Now, I'm giving you an example from Connie and I's own life. The Lord has done this to us over and over and over and over again. Just give it to him. Lord. It's like, you know what those things cost? Yes, I do. I bought it. You know what's crazy? Every time you do that, the Lord in his marvelous economy not only blesses you in return, he blesses that person, then they learn how to bless people and they're blessing somebody else. It grows. That's the beauty of it. That's the wonder of God's economy. It doesn't work. If you go to school for economics and you talk about this principle, your professor's going to look at you, you are insane. So if you have 100%, you give 100% away. Actually, this is how our government really works. We give them 100%, they take all of it, they give it all away. Just not to you. God actually works these things out. And so Jesus at the cross, who was the richest man in the history of the universe, gave away everything so you could become rich. That's the picture. In other words, he was completely all in. Totally gave everything. And when I think of what Jesus did for me, Because no one was ever richer and no one ever became more poor. You're talking about the king of heaven. Now, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to hang around rich people. I personally have. When I was in business, I hung around with some very, very, very wealthy billionaires. It is insane, it's crazy. They think a bad day is when their $2,000 a bottle champagne is one degree warmer than it's supposed to be. And somebody gets fired. They they fly over their properties, look at it from above, and determine where things are going to go so that when they fly over their property, it looks like this wonderland to them. Now, they're rich by the world's standards. But nobody was richer than Jesus. And he gave everything away. You look at what's going on in our society right now. You have all these fabulously wealthy people. And I'm thinking right now of Jeffrey Epstein, a billionaire at one point in time who is selling young girls into sexual slavery. And he's trying to get out of prison because the prison food is not good enough for him. Personally, there's no food bad enough on this earth for him. And I can find a dumpster that he could live in for the rest of his days. That's me personally. That's not Pastor Jeff. 
just want to get that out there. But Jesus was the Lord of heaven. And he, gave, he had no place to lay his head. Amen? When Jesus died, how many possessions did he have? He had two. He had a cloak and a tunic. And they were gambled away at the cross. He gave away everything. So is it really that hard for us to join him in what he's doing in this world principally to bless others the way we have been blessed. He was all in. He made you and I rich. That's the picture here. You see, ultimately, it comes down to your faith and mine. And it's faith. It's not stupidity. And I want you to see what the Apostle Paul says. Notice verse 13. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. So if you're here and you are a socialist, there's your verse that condemns your socialism. There it is. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. In other words, the Lord's not saying that some group should be burdened so other people's lives could be eased. He's basically saying if everybody lives their lives by faith, there'll be plenty for everybody. But by inequality, notice it. Verse 14, he's just simply saying, if I do my part, you do your part, we do our part collectively, and the church in the world does what God asks us to do, there will be enough for everybody. There'll be enough for everybody. Because it's a faith issue. It's your faith, it's my faith. You see, Proverbs 22, 7 is still absolutely true. The borrower is always slave to the lender. So we're not talking about going and maxing out credit cards and doing all kinds of weird, dumb things. We're simply talking about people being faithful with what God's already entrusted to you. So when you get those notices from certain creepy people on television, well, just give a seed gift, put it on a credit card if you need to, and God will bless you, that is straight from the pit of hell. That is not from the Lord because it's directly contrary to what his word says. If you've got to put it on a credit card, God's not asking you to give it. God's just simply saying, where I have blessed you, bless others. And in this case, the Gentiles were enriched spiritually by the Jews, so the Jews might be enriched by the the Gentiles materially in Jerusalem because they're being persecuted. The same is true with what we do when we go out into the mission field. You know, we don't run background checks on every pastor that we have out in the field. We pray over them, we talk to them, we go see the work, we ask them what God's doing in their lives, and we simply trust that the King of Heaven is able to instruct us by the Spirit as to what He would want us to do. It's a beautiful thing. And so I want to encourage you, this is about faith. Our motive for giving is God's spiritual blessing in our lives. Not material, spiritual. Do you understand what I just said? Our motivation, our motive for giving is spiritual. But here's the crazy thing. The measure of our giving is for God's material blessing. In other words, if I am generous... 
then I can expect God to be generous to me. Notice what it says. But by inequality, now that at this time your abundance may supply their lack, and that their abundance may also supply your lack, that there may be equality, as it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. This is how God plans to take care of the needs of other people who do not have. And so a church that's not a giving church, a church that has no missions, a church that doesn't reach outside of its own four walls but is consumed about maintaining is not a church that I believe honors God. We have to be a giving church. And in order to be a giving church, we need to join God in giving. God's not going to be satisfied with anything less than our best. As Paul wrote back in chapter 16 of the first letter to the church at Corinth, let everyone of you lay aside, put into the storehouse as God has prospered us. That's our goal. That's what we want to do. It's, it's not Christian communism. You know, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and I can tell you there were a, there were a whole... To, matter of fact, Calvary Chapel was kind of famous for the fact that we had communes. We had these homes, several in Oregon, some here Victorville. Pastor Steve was actually the head of one of the the Victorville houses. And it was a form of Christian communism. It was like everybody got together and they all ate at one giant table and But what happened eventually is there'd be one guy that'd go out and get a job. And after a while, that one guy that got a job got pretty tired of the other 10 people eating his food. (laughs) That's not what it's about. It's about everyone going and getting a job and everyone giving a little so nobody has nothing. Amen? That's the biblical principle. Matter of fact, Scripture is so clear, it says that a man who does not work should not. Amen. So it's not about being lazy. It's not about taking advantage of other people. It's about me expressing my faith, saying, God, you've been good to me. And I want to be good to other people. I want to make sure nobody has any needs. If I know about them, I want to try and meet them. This passage finishes, verse 16 to the end of the chapter with some qualifications for those who would handle the resources that God's entrusted to us or handling God's money. Verses 16 and 17. First, there is a God-given desire to be a servant. That means someone who cares for others. But thanks be to God who puts us who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. Who's the care for? The other people. The you in that sentence. So Titus, who's bringing this offering, is taking care of the people that are called you in that sentence. For he's not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. How did he go? He went voluntarily. This is a person who said, I'm willing to go serve someone else. You should never entrust the resources of the church to someone who's not a servant. Because they don't get what God wants to do. If a person is greedy or self-centered, never entrust to them the resources of the church. 
because they're simply going to do with it what they want to do. They'll look to please themselves. Paul didn't draft Titus because he had a background in finance or he was a CPA. He wasn't in resource management. He was simply a young man who had a desire to serve other people and could be trusted because that was his heart. And too often we see people put on boards of churches or on finance committees, if you have one, in that area of finance in the church because they have a specific skill set. They just have a great business acumen. Now let me qualify what I'm saying. If they have a great business acumen and they are servants of the Most High God, that's like a double win. But if they're simply good in business and they don't care about other people, they miss this qualification. They have to care about others. I've sat down and had what we would call very strong fellowship with people on the board at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa who basically just simply wanted to control all the funds. They couldn't care less about reaching out. It was all about maintaining very large assets. And while maintaining assets isn't inherently bad, if you start to care about buildings more than people, then you have missed the calling of God in your life. God cares about people, not buildings. Now, we take care of the buildings because the buildings minister to people, but you have to get that order right. It's a desire to be a servant. A second thing, it's real simple. What's Jesus here for? To seek and save that which is lost. Amen? That's why he came. God sent his only begotten son into the world that the world through him might be? Okay, so what's God's care on this earth? That people come to know the Lord. It's the gospel. That's why churches actually exist in in a large measure. Our job one is to seek and to, to come alongside and to seek those who are lost and have them come to know Jesus. Notice what it doesn't say there. And we have sent him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. Where's his praise? In the gospel. Not in the style of business management, not in a type of church, not in the way the building should look, not in the programs, not in some kind of social structure or hierarchy, but the gospel was the focus. The gospel needs to always be the direction the church turns. Every corner should be towards the gospel. A third thing, a simple desire to honor God. You would think this would not have to be said. And not only that, but who is also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us, notice this, to the glory of the Lord himself. And to show your ready mind. In other words, these people, believing they were serving the Lord, gave that money faithfully, and they simply wanted to honor the Lord. So when people want to praise the church, or more poignantly, Sometimes they want to praise people. We need to be quick to remind them, you know what? It's just simply Jesus. That's the Lord. I, I get the blessing of, you know, it's just Jesus, man. Smiley face, love you. Now, that, that may seem trite to you. That may seem like maybe I'm dodging it or not willing to accept. You know what? I never want to take the Lord's glory. Never. Anything good that happens here? Let me just tell you who it is. It's Jesus. Amen? 
We just simply want to do what God would do if, he were, if Jesus were right here. We should be able to ask him, like, Lord, what would you like to do? And he would go, okay, we'll do this, 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 and that, and then we would go do that. Why? Because we want to glorify him. We want him to receive the glory. This is not Pastor Jeff's church. People say those kind of things all the time. Oh, your church. No, it's not my church. It's Jesus' church. It's never been my church. It was never Pastor Steve's church. It isn't Calvary Chapel's church. It's Jesus' church, and we want to glorify the Lord. All those other things have some subtle meanings to certain people, but we want people to know it came from Jesus. He saw your need. He took care of it. Yes, we were the hands, just like Titus is the hands here. This little contingent from the church. Yes, there was a contingent, and sometimes we are that contingent. We go and, you know, praise the Lord. Here it is. We just had Pastor Alex on Sunday and his wife Carolina. This, this facility that is being purchased on the island of Tierra Bomba. You were the emissaries. You're the people. Just like Titus that carried those funds and said, here they are. But this is from the Lord. It's from the Lord. Worship the Lord. It's from him. A fourth thing. A solid reputation for honesty. I'm not sure there's anything that grieves me more than the patent, blatant dishonesty that exists in the church today. I'm sick to death of watching pastors live an extravagant lifestyle, and I don't mean a lifestyle that is pretty much the same as everyone in the church. I'm not saying that every pastor should live in a hovel someplace underneath a bridge. Connie and I don't. We have a very nice home in Lomita, but it is a nice home in Lomita and a cul-de-sac. It is not a mansion on a hill. There has to be honesty, and there has to be transparency, and we'll dig into that in our final study in this series. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift, which is administered by us. In other words, none of it ended up in our pockets. Providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but in the sight of men. Do you know what a shame it is when people can go on television and watch a full-blown expose of some idiot, and I'll just call them what they are, who has stolen God's money and built up gigantic facilities for themselves and taken and enriched themselves, and then someone finds out about it, as has happened for an a couple of groups that I will name because some of you may still be supporting them. Gospel for Asia. It's a scam. Don't support them. If you still support them, stop supporting them. I've said this from the pulpit. I'm going to say it again. Don't do it. Why? Because they have stolen tens of millions of dollars and personally enriched themselves. That's the qualification here. Honorable. There shouldn't be second sets of books and third sets of books. There shouldn't be the private bank accounts of the pastor. There should be the funds of the church, and they should be overseen by a group of men who can be trusted 
to be honest. And we have that in this church. We have a full accounting department. We have an on-staff CPA. We have an outside accounting firm that oversees everything we do. I have zero access to the church's funds. I don't have a church checkbook. I have no capacity. I do not know anything about what comes into this church. I'm simply part of the board that oversees and governs the rest of it. We want to be honorable in all things. Notice it includes in the sight of men. Why is that important? Because when men see pastors stealing from the flock of God, guess what God they don't want to follow? Guess what Jesus they don't want to know? Giving and the, the treatment of the funds that have been entrusted to any church bears directly on the reputation of the Lord, and we can either sully it or build it with how we handle God's money. And we have sent them with our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things. Amen? There's the character. Solid reputation, but how much more diligent because of the great confidence with which we have in you. And a fifth and final thing, a cooperative spirit. We have a board that consists of seven men. And I can tell you up to this point, in four and a half years, there has not been a single decision made in this church where there was not a unanimous decision. Not one. That's a spirit of cooperation. Guess why that works? How many Holy Spirits are there? One. So if God's in it, how many voices do you think you're going to have? You're going to have one. There's going to be one Lord, one faith, one hope, one baptism, one Lord that's Lord over all, master of all, and he's going to speak the same message into everybody. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren inquired about, they are messengers to the churches to the glory of Christ. In other words, they're all in it together. And therefore show them, and before the churches, the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. If there's division in the church over these things, then there's a problem person on the board. I remember sitting in on a board meeting at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, a gentleman that I actually know personally, and he looked me right in the eye. He says, well, as long as I'm on the board, there will never be a unanimous decision. I'm like, what? You realize what you just said? You're basically saying you're the only one that can hear from the Holy Spirit, and if we disagree with you, in any way, shape, or form, that you're right and we're wrong. That is not a spirit of cooperation. That's not somebody you want on a board. That's someone who believes that they're the only one that can hear from the Lord. That's a dangerous thing. Because board members don't own the money. Board members don't control the bank accounts. Board members are like everyone in this room. We're simply stewards of the things of God. The president of the corporation, simply a steward of the things of God. And it takes dedication to a common purpose, and that is glorifying the Lord. And if you don't get that answer, then you need to go and pray some more. And you come back until you do get a unanimous decision. If you don't get a unanimous, de- unanimous decision, you probably ought to think it over again. Find out what's wrong. Why is the Holy Spirit giving a different answer to several people? Now, it may be that you have someone who's not hearing from the Lord. 
But there'll even be confirmation on that. You'll understand it. You'll get it. And so as we wrap this up, this whole issue of giving is a grace adventure. It's a grace adventure of faith. It's how we test God and we say, Lord, we want to accomplish much for your kingdom. If you will entrust us with much, we'll accomplish much. Because we love you. We want your gospel to be spread. We want to honor you. We want to be honest in everything that we do. And we want to possess a spirit of cooperation because there is supposed to be unity in the spirit and a bond of peace within the church. Amen? Division is never of God. Did you know that? Now, there may be people going different directions, but division in the church that splits the church, that is never of God. If there's division, you can be sure who started it. That was the enemy. There may be disagreement. Notice what I did not say. There may be disagreement, but you can go pray over disagreement. But when there's division, someone is trying to tear the church apart. And that's where the leadership needs to step in and say, look, maybe this isn't for you. Maybe it's time you you step aside. Because here's six of us that heard one message, and we've got you who heard another one, and we're pretty sure that God didn't give six of us the same message and you something different. Otherwise, probably none of us should be on the board. Amen? So in this area, be dedicated to the Lord. Give him 100%. Whatever he asks you to do in faith, do it. And know that it matters in this world. Because if we will do each our own part, there will be no lack to do what the Lord wants us to do. Amen? Would you stand and we'll pray together. Father, first with thanksgiving, we praise you. Lord, I praise you. Lord, I know there's a, at least a couple of the board members here in this room. And, and Father, we praise you for your goodness to us. We thank you, God, for what you have already done. We thank you for entrusting us with so much uh, riches, Lord, that we're able to bless others. And God, we never want to take that for granted. Uh, we ask that you would continue to do great and mighty things in this area. Lord, we thank you for the way we're able to take care of the staff and provide insurance and all those things that are a part of this. Lord, we are grateful people. And we pray that for those that are struggling, Father, maybe they've never really heeded that call to listen to your voice and simply said, God, it's all yours and, and here's my offering and worship back to you. Lord, would you gently... Just speak into their life the beauty of joining you in what you're doing. Or the joy of it. Or to be able to sit back and go, that was awesome, God did that. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We bless you for every penny, Lord, that you've entrusted to us. For this beautiful facility. For all that's gone into it over all these years, Lord. It's the faithfulness of your people, Lord, reaching out and worshiping you that's made it possible. And so, Lord, bless each one, all those who have been faithful. Would you overflow their homes with goodness? Pour out upon them, Lord, as your word says you will do, an abundant blessing they can't contain. Heap it into their lap, double measured. Lord, spilling out onto the ground with more than we need. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We offer everything our, our very lives back to you, God, which is a reasonable service. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.